welcome to episode 33 of the More Than Books podcast. Pretty sure that's what we're up to now. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, as always, I'm your host, Joel, and I'm joined by Colin. As always. Hello. It's been, uh, been a couple weeks since our last episode, but with the holidays coming up, I think uh, we were going to kind of have a fun little topic. We were going to talk about... Uh, the best thing to do to avoid talking about politics with your family <laughs> at uh, Christmas or um, whatever event you're celebrating. Games. Board games, party games, um, all sorts of new, or uh, some of them are newer, some of them are older, but uh, we're going to talk about our favorites and the ones that um, we have been enjoying lately. Mm-hmm. So, you know, board games, people think of the old games you know you think of monopoly i hate monopoly i will never take a a game of monopoly out with my family if i see my family playing monopoly i will avoid avoid it at all costs because that is just not fun to me (laughs) (laughs) it takes way too long it Mm -hmm. uh it just makes you start to really dislike the people you're playing with too because it's very (laughs) gets very bitter a lot of those games get very bitter yeah. And, <laughs> and yet that's become people's go-to board game. Yeah, yeah. And and while I do enjoy Risk um, oh, from yeah. time to time, it also is one of those games that takes way too long. And uh-huh. it's hard to... It, it can cause some animosity. Um, yes. And Clue and all, all those old Hasbro or... Milton Bradley board game. I don't even know what brands there are. Any <laughs> all of them that have been around yeah. since, since like the between 40s. the twenties to the fifties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those games they're they're fun every once in a while, but that's not uh, that's not my go to anymore. And I, I try to actively avoid them most of the time, unless they're yeah. the only games available. And, and admittedly, sometimes I think more just due to nostalgia than any kind of like feeling of fun or excitement. <laughs> I do like to occasionally play one of those games, but the fact is they have been replaced by new, better things. Yeah. So I think starting in like the late 90s, early 2000s, there was kind of a resurgence in, in board games. And um, we're going to start off talking about what I'm going to call the, the new classics. These games have probably been around for 20, 30 years at this point. But they seem to have only recently been, you know, very, very popular. I mean, you can find them all at Target uh, in the game aisle now. I don't remember seeing that 10 years ago. But I was in Walmart the other day for the first time in a long time, (laughs) and Walmart had most of them. So So the first one is, you know, this game was released, I think, in the late 90s. Uh, 95. 95? Okay. Mm -hmm. Settlers of Catan. Uh, Or, as it's known now... Catan. Just Catan. But people who've been playing it for forever, like myself, still refer to it as Settlers of Catan, or (laughs) Catan. I don't even know how you pronounce it. Yeah, so this was a German board game Mm -hmm. that's more so about building uh, building towns, building cities, farming, mining, trading resources. It's really a, a resource management game, and you have to collect resources to build up your town and your roads, and you get points based off the number of towns and roads you can construct. Mm -hmm. So it has some of those Monopoly-esque elements where you're, you know, instead of building a hotel, you're building a city. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it's nowhere near as competitive as something like Monopoly where, or one-sided. It can get very competitive. Yeah, depending on who you play, it (laughs) gets super competitive. And I, I think what Catan did, or Settlers of Catan, I'm just going to keep calling it that, um, is it kind of kickstarted a little bit of like a popular 
board game revolution because uh, it's a shorter game than something like Monopoly. And the reason why it's a shorter game is because it's not as reliant on chance. There's more player agency in it, and there's more room for players to make interesting decisions about what they actually want to do on their turn, which makes it a little more complicated for a first-time player, maybe, but it also speeds the game up, and I think makes it a lot more fun than something like Monopoly. And there's multiple ways to win, uh, and it has a much more strategic focus than something like Monopoly, I think, which is very much the luck of the roll. With, uh, with Catan, the board game is kind of randomized every time you play it, mm-hmm. which is an interesting twist. Uh, the location and availability of resources is different every single game. Yeah. So the... you'll have your, your tiles that are um, the clay, which for, for bricks and the, or stone, and wheat, and sheep, and... <laughs> pastures for sheep. Yeah, pastures yeah. for sheep, all those different... Uh, you, you kind of collect these resources and you need certain amounts of them to either like build a road or build a settlement and then you can expand the settlement into a city and you right. get points based off who has the longest road, who has the most cities, who has the biggest army. And we say army, but this is not a game where there's any like fighting or anything <laughs> like that. It's not risk. It is very thoroughly what uh, we call a German style board game where any conflict in it is indirect uh there's never you're never directly attacking another player you might just be getting in their way at the most Um, that's a lot of the strategy is trying to get in the way you want to you want to make sure that if you you can interrupt someone's like if they're working on the longest road and then you plop a settlement down in front of their road they can't uh keep going (laughs) because for some reason the settlers of Catan they are incapable of letting roads cross and incapable of uh building roads going through cities and towns Um, and you can kind of monopolize a resource if you uh mm -hmm. you know you can prevent people from getting access to the sheep and the wheat. Yeah, <laughs> if you build one of your roads all around the part of the island where those resources are densest, that basically means that you're monopolizing that resource. Um, and then much like Monopoly, well, much like how most people play Monopoly, there are kind of like trading mechanics where you can say, well, hey, I really need a sheep, but I've got all this wheat. Uh, anyone want some wheat? You can give me a sheep in return for this wheat I'm going to give you, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, it's a fun game. You can generally, I think the base game, you can play with like two to four. It's a three to four. Three to four. Yep. You need three players at a minimum to play. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and then there's expansions that add things like ships and extra, an extra island, I think. Or and more players. More, you can, yeah, and they, they allow the ability to have five, six, seven, eight players. And that is one thing that we have to talk about with regards to modern board gaming is very rarely does a game ever come out and that's the end of the story. Um, usually, there, if it's a popular game, there are expansions, which just might be ways of adding new rules to the game to kind of like freshen it up a little bit, uh, change things around, or adding a higher player count. So I actually think with Catan, you can go buy a box of it that just comes with one of the expansions pre-built into it, so then you can do like three to six players. Oh, yeah. I yeah. believe, so. <laughs> yeah, the expansions. You'll, you'll find that that's, uh, that's pretty uh, common with some of the games we'll be talking about. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Catan, or Settlers of Catan. Yeah, it uh, has a little bit of a learning curve, probably the, only the first time you play it. I mean, I, I feel like I picked it up really quickly. and And... 
that that can be a bit of a struggle introducing a more modern board game to someone who's familiar with and loves older board games like Clue and Monopoly because they're not as easy to explain. You know, there's a few more rules. You've got more freedom on your turn to take different courses of action. So it, it, it can be difficult to convince people that they're about to have fun <laughs> uh, when you set something like Catan down in front of them for the first time. But the nice um, thing is it only takes about an hour to play through an entire game. Yeah. Or sometimes sometimes longer that. if you're playing with yeah. more players who are extremely competitive. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah, it's not. You're you're probably not going to fall into like a three, four, five hour session like risk with <laughs> with Catan. Yeah, that would be yeah. a bit of a nightmare if that happened. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't think it's possible for that to happen though. So uh, the next game um, is kind of it, it's similar in style to Catan, but it has completely different rule sets and it's a lot simpler. Uh, and that's uh, that's Carcassonne. It's another game where the focus is to build up cities and roads and settlements mm -hmm. so it's it's another it's, german style yeah board it's game. another german uh, or european yeah mm -hmm. board game um but this one is much much simpler basically you have these tiles and they're completely randomized each each tile has like either uh like a drawing of a river on it mm -hmm. um, or a drawing of part of a town or part of a city um, or a drawing of a road and you put, um, I believe you put like a pond tile down to start and it's the beginning of the mm -hmm. river. So you have to um, basically randomly draw a tile from the pile and attach it where it fits. So you can like continue the river or continue off a piece of a road or continue off a city, mm -hmm. but it has to, the tile has to match. And as you slowly, you know, take turns drawing another random tile and placing it on the board. It's not even really a board. It's not a board. Yeah. The interesting thing about both these games we've discussed so far is they don't have boards. They both just have tiles. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you, you draw it from the pile and you place it down where it fits and you can slowly start to build bigger and bigger towns and you can claim them as your own with... Um, your little wooden guy. <laughs> as, as they're called in board games now, meeples. Meeples, Any yeah. Any wooden figure that is shaped roughly like a man <laughs> is a meeple. <laughs> so those are, those are your player pieces, basically, mm -hmm. in, in Carcassonne. And basically, you, you will claim a road, and once that road is complete, you get points for the number of tiles that that road was on. So mm -hmm. if you have, like, a... a a road that's like six tiles long, you'd get like six points for it. Right. Um, and that's how you score points. So if you build cities, you get, uh, I think, like two points for every um, piece of a city. So if you have a city that is four tiles, um, that's worth eight points. Right. And then sometimes they have extra points um, if there's like a symbol of like a shield in the city. So it's like a, a bigger or a stronger city. Um, you can get extra points for that kind of thing. But it, it sounds complicated when you're explaining it, but as you're playing it, you like you pick it up really, really quickly. Um, yes. You could play this with uh, with a kid. That oh, would probably I have played it with yeah. children. And <laughs> I don't, I don't get along with children in the first place. Yeah. So the fact that I could sit down and play a board game with them, yeah, that's a win. <laughs> it only requires two players. Yeah, uh, to play two players. On. It can go up to five players. Uh, it came out in 2000, so five years after uh, yeah. Catan did. Um, and like... Catan, it's got a gajillion expansions, um, which do all sorts of crazy things to the game, usually making it more complicated. 
so not recommended for first-time players, but if it's a game that you've played dozens of times, you might want to be looking for ways to kind of spice it up a little bit, add a few twists to the rules here and there, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I'd say first-time players, you can just play the core game, but if you're, you've are you been playing for a while and you're ready to make it a little more interesting, mm-hmm. um, you can add, uh, add the expansions, which add new tiles and new ways to score points, basically. Right. Yeah. And I, I will say, and it's been a long time since I've played this game, but I will say that, to my memory, it is uh, potentially, depending on who you're playing with, a much more competitive game than Catan. Um, again, you can't directly interfere with people, really. Uh, there's no attacking someone. But it's all about stopping their expansion. Stopping their, their expansion. Or their cities. Or... Um, getting the points for yourself. Getting the you points can. for yourself. <laughs> by like maybe building a separate city elsewhere putting a couple of your meeples in it, and then eventually connecting that city to their city, where they only have one meeple in it, that means that you're going to be the one getting all those points, not them. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's Once you kind of figure out the strategy, it uh, it gets pretty interesting. Yes. Uh, there's some fun things you can do to steal points from oh, people yeah. and block people from getting points. Especially if you're <laughs> playing with... Um, farmland which sometimes people don't play with because they think it makes the game a little too complicated but in my experience farmland makes everything way more fun i yeah i like playing with the farmland because uh yeah. if you put a meeple down on on farmland um you can't pick it up until the end of the game yep so it limits your supply of meeples you can use and that definitely uh but you can get extra points at the end of the game you can get a yeah. ton of points on farmland. <laughs> it's it's kind of a, a risk versus reward thing where sometimes you can put one down, you're using one of your meeples permanently to mark that farmland as yours, and then at the end of the game it might not be worth anything. Uh, or conversely, if you did a really good job of picking just the right farmland to put your meeple down on, at the end of the game it can be enough to propel you to victory easily. <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, that's Carcassonne. It's a fun game that can be played with only two people or more if you get the expansions. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think the core game you can play two to five and then expansions you can increase the number of players Probably, yeah. yeah and i at one point i probably still have it had a big box where you know you get the base game and then you get a lot of the other expansions that come inside the big box with it uh, some of the expansions are better than others but at the very least it just gets you a lot of tiles to play with um, <laughs> which is always fun so. yeah and it's a game that can be very quick especially if you're yes. only playing with two people you can finish an entire game in about a half hour. The only bad thing I have to say about Cocker Zone is you either need a big table to play it on... <laughs> or you play it on the floor. Or you're playing it on the floor. Yeah. Because, um, <laughs> depending on how people are building, things might get out of hand very quickly. Like, you might have these big peninsulas just kind of branching off the main parts that people are building on, and it gets a little a little crazy. <laughs> well, the, the third game that we're going to talk about in, in the new classics is uh, Ticket to Ride. Yes. And this actually is a game... I have not played, though it's one I've heard really good things about and want to play. Yeah, I think of the three that we've talked about so far, I might be wrong, but I think it's actually the best-selling of the three. I think it's Uh, the most popular in this country, at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, It came out in 2004. A little newer than than the other ones. Yep, a little newer. It it does uh, two to five players, and there are a million versions of it. Uh, Like normal Ticket to Ride, you are building train tracks in America, but then there's Ticket to Ride Europe that adds a few extra rules, and of course you're playing, or you're building train tracks in Europe. There's like an international version where it's like a huge map of the entire world that you're building train tracks around. But the way the game works is is, um, you've got a whole ton of plastic trains, and uh, you're drawing cards from a deck 
and those cards have colors on them and on the board that you're playing on are different uh, train tracks that are color coded um, so like if you want to build on a purple train track that has three spaces on it you would need three purple cards in your hand to discard those to then put your little plastic trains on that train track and claim it as your own at the start of the game you have a hand of cards and that hand of cards tells you which cities on the board you're trying to connect and you don't show the other players your hand of cards so no one really knows what cities they're trying to connect to um, so it becomes this big like tangled network of well I need to get from somewhere in Russia to somewhere in Italy so I've got to build across the entire continent but of course other players are also going to be building across the entire continent <laughs> trying to connect things so people are going to be taking more efficient routes from you and that sort of thing it's another really simple game a game that you can definitely play with children, and there is actually a kid's version of Ticket to Ride, like My First Ticket to Ride or something like that, uh, <laughs> that is available for purchase. So all of these games have something in common, and they're all about like building things in a strategic way. Yes. <laughs> building things in a strategic way, not being able to directly attack other players. Instead, what you're trying to do, if you want to play competitively, you're just trying to block their progress or make them do something uh, more inefficient than they might otherwise prefer. It's 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 good family fun. <laughs> yeah, it is, and they don't. Ticket to Ride can take a little long compared to the other two. I would say, in my experience, the average game with like four players is about two hours. Uh, sometimes a little longer, again, depending on how competitive people are feeling, or just how much thought people are putting into planning out what they're trying to do. Yeah, it's good. It of of, of these three, I think that one's my favorite. So. I'll definitely have to pick that one up or uh, give it a try out at the uh, the board game cafe in town sometime oh, yeah, before. Definitely. All right, um, another one of the the new classics uh, is a cooperative board game called Pandemic. But a cooperative board game, if this is this is different in style than the other three that yes. we talked about, it's much different in style. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of playing against the players you're with like it's more about playing with them against the board yes (laughs) so to win you have to beat the board not each other and everybody wins or everybody loses (laughs) (laughs) right so it's um it's it's a concept in board games that uh i've i've seen quite a few board games with that kind of concept but Mm -hmm. Uh, it's one that sometimes is difficult to explain to people. It's like, oh, we're not we're not playing against each other. We're playing with each other against the board. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's something that's a little mind blowing to some people uh, the first time you set something like Pandemic down in front of them. Yeah. Because um, it looks like in appearance like it's going to be like a game of Risk or something similar, but so, it is not that at all. When did Pandemic come out? The original. Uh, two thousand and eight. Uh, okay, so even even um, newer. <laughs> and it's uh, two to four players. Okay. And there's expansions and yes. different versions mm-hmm. um, of Pandemic as well. I actually own a version of Pandemic that is Pandemic Reign of Cthulhu, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is instead of pan- the the concept of Pandemic is the you're working in the world to kind of eradicate a disease that is spreading across four the globe. Four diseases. Yeah, four diseases that mm-hmm. are spreading across the globe. In the Cthulhu version that I have, you're working in a town to stop the spread of cultists that are trying to bring back the Dark Lord Cthulhu, of course. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) So you have to eradicate all the cultists before uh, before Cthulhu destroys the world. 
<laughs> Whereas in base pandemic, yeah. you just have to eradicate all the diseases before humankind is brought to extinction by these awful diseases. So. Yeah, yeah. So, so do you want to talk about the basic gameplay a little bit? I can sure try. Uh, <laughs> it, it might be kind of a hard game to explain in audio format, but basically what it is is you know, you've got your player pawns, um, and they are kind of limited in the movements they can make around the board. Uh, they can move to like adjacent cities. Uh, if they got special cards in their hand, sometimes they can discard one of those to fly to a city elsewhere on, on the global map. But every turn, what's going on is you're drawing cards from a deck, and the cards in that deck are basically telling you where you're going to put more disease cubes on the board. And if a city would ever receive a fourth cube, instead of receiving that fourth cube, it quote-unquote outbreaks, which means that every city adjacent to it receives another cube. Which also means that if one of those cities that was adjacent to it would have received a fourth cube, that one then outbreaks as well. So then you get these chain outbreaks where you've just got the disease going rampant in some area of the world. And um, yeah, every turn you're just moving around the board, you're spending some of your actions, you have four actions a turn. So like to move might be one action, to clean up a disease cube might be one action. And you're just trying to kind of stem the tide yeah. and you're trying to plan ahead and figure out you know what areas of the world are about to fall and where you need to go to kind of prevent yourselves from losing because if too many cities outbreak you lose if there's too much disease too many disease cubes on the board you lose um, there's all sorts of loss conditions and only yeah. one win condition so yeah and all, all the players kind of have their own special skill yeah. that they can use to um, help eradicate the diseases so the doctor can what eradicate more get rid the of medic. more the medic can get rid of more disease cubes yeah he can he can spend one turn. action to get rid of as yeah. many disease cubes as he wants in the city that he's in yeah whereas everyone else it's one action to just get rid of one cube <laughs> so yeah every every character can have its own their own different skill and mm -hmm. you have to kind of work together and uh yeah definitely work together to clear the board yeah. before it, the board clears you <laughs> what makes it such a, an interesting game is like Everyone's turn is kind of literally everyone's turn. It's not just that player's turn, because the entire time you're going to be discussing, okay, well, here's what we need to do. Here's where we need to send so-and-so. Here's where we need to focus our attention the most. Here's where we can kind of let things go for a little bit. Um, here's this goal that we need to be working towards. So you're constantly engaged in it. It's not a game where you take your turn and you just kind of sit back and everyone else takes their turn. Yeah, um, everybody is always throwing out their opinion of what you should do. Mm -hmm. and that that is that's a good thing in these kind of games, like the communication and cooperation and kind of planning ahead yeah. to what uh, what you need to do. It also can lead to if you have like an experienced player with a bunch of people that haven't played or yes. that aren't very good at it, it can lead to someone just constantly telling other people what to do in yeah. the game. Like, um, that is a problem with cooperative games. Yeah, and it's one that I find myself uh, guilty of with Pandemic on occasion. The last time I taught it to a new group of people, I didn't play myself because I figured it would be more fun for them that way. If I taught it and let them play it, and then just kind of set off to the side and watch them play it because I knew that if I played it, um, they weren't really going to be making any decisions themselves. Yeah. I was going to be making all the decisions for them. So that is a drawback to cooperative games. But. And, and once again, Pandemic is, is a board game that has a ton of expansions. I think yep. there's four expansions to the base game. And all sorts of different versions and, of it, like you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, and they had a, a new version, actually, that came out recently that uh, was supposed to be really cool. It's Pandemic Legacy. Mm. It's gotten a lot of, like, 
acclaim, but it's one that it's weird because it comes in these like seasons where you you play through it basically once and it kind of tells a story yeah as you play through it my group and i have actually been playing through season one of pandemic legacy and it's it's a the best way to describe it and this sounds ludicrous but it's true is it's a board game that you destroy as you play it (laughs) Um, like stickers and things or you rip up certain cards right the central conceit is that like every game of pandemic you play with it is a month um, but you're playing a game of Pandemic Legacy over the course of a year. So you're playing 12 games, one for every month of the year, of course. But what that means is that like, if a city falls in one month, it's going to stay fallen for every month that comes thereafter. And there's going to be like different events that come up, and there's going to be like stories that you're reading and cards that you're ripping up, and you're going to be writing on the board, and you're going to be putting stickers on things. Some of the characters are going to be dying so you're gonna be ripping up their player cards all sorts of crazy stuff uh it's an insane experience um (laughs) yeah and one that some people have a hard time uh getting their minds wrapped around because why would you buy a board game that you're really only going to be playing through like once Um, but it takes what it takes time to get through and it's we've been playing it ever since january we've been doing it kind of in real time so in january we played one game and then february one game so on and so forth so (laughs) Can you like completely lose halfway through the season and then be like, well? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, if you can, I think we would have come close a couple of times because <laughs> things definitely got really bad. Um, and, and it edits the rules as the game goes too. So in Pandemic Legacy, at some point a disease might mutate and you can no longer cure it in the standard way. You've got to find some other way to do it. Okay. Um, it's, it's definitely... Uh, an intense it, it, it feels like a crazy like medical drama television show where it's just <laughs> constantly throwing loops at you there's lots of drama even the characters kind of develop personalities as time goes on it's, yeah that uh, seems like it's it falls more almost into like a, a role-playing game version of pandemic kind of and it's definitely but... not something that i'd recommend starting with uh, family <laughs> uh over the holiday break um but yeah, maybe, maybe play the regular version a few times, yeah. and if, if everybody likes it and gets pretty good at it, then maybe start a recurring game of Pandemic Legacy. Right, if everyone's willing yeah. to commit the time to it, and uh, if they're fully cognizant of the fact that it becomes a more complicated game as the game goes on, because it keeps adding rules and taking abilities away from you. So, mm-hmm. uh, But it is really interesting. Uh, there was another cooperative bo- cooperative board game that you were going to talk about. Yeah, um, Mysterium. Yeah, I really want to talk about Mysterium because Mysterium <laughs> is great, and everyone loves Clue, and I hate Clue. And Mysterium's like Clue, but way better. So instead of playing Clue with your relatives this holiday season, go buy a copy of Mysterium and play that instead. Mysterium is fully cooperative, just like Pandemic Legacy. So you are in a sense fighting the board, but this isn't much of a board game; it's more of a card game. Um, what it is, is most of the players take on the role of like psychic investigators, and one of the players is the murder victim, who is a ghost. And what the ghost character can do is he's got a big deck of cards with like beautiful, abstract, surreal artwork on them. And he needs to, using these cards, he or she, using these cards, needs to tell the investigators who killed him or her, where they died, and what murder weapon they were killed with. 
none of which is actually present on these art cards. You know, it'll be like something ridiculous, like an elephant holding an umbrella, like dancing on a tightrope over New York City or something. <laughs> but, but you're stuck with the cards that you have. So the ghost is going to be handing these cards out to the players. The players are going to be looking at all these cards together and trying to figure out what the ghost wants them to investigate. And they can ask the ghost questions, but the ghost can only answer yes and no, and he can only, or she, can only answer yes or no by rapping on the table. So, like, <laughs> one rap for yes, two for no. And that's pretty much the whole game. So the investigators will first be trying to figure out what, like, where the, the murder happened. So you'll have, like, another deck of cards that has all the rooms in the house. And then once they progress past that point, they're going to be figuring out who did the crime. So much like Clue, kind of. And then the last stage is figuring out what, what the murder weapon was. And it is just an engine for hilarity. Because <laughs> um, the ghost knows what's going on. They can't say anything to the players. They've just got these really crazy art cards to hand out. And they have to explain what happened with these cards that don't at all explain what happened. Um, it's fascinating. That sounds interesting. Yeah, I I feel like I need to I need to see how this game is played. That is the problem with yeah. this game. Is um, it's it's difficult to explain. It's it's very much one of those games that once you see it being played, it immediately clicks. Mostly because there's very little rules. The only person who really has any rules is the ghost player. Um, the investigators are basically just chatting about some pretty art on some cards and trying to figure out what it means. Um, there's not really anything to kind of keep in mind, but it is fully cooperative. Either everyone wins or everyone loses. So, What's the lose state? Just people not being able to figure out? Yeah. Uh, there's like, Is there an actual, like, oh, now the game is over? Or is it like, we've been playing this for three hours <laughs> and we still haven't figured it out? <laughs> there's a little um, clock with some like hands on it that move as the game goes oh, on. Okay. But you just move after every round. So the game is timed. It is timed. Yeah. However, I have never had a group say when the game is done and they've lost, say, oh, darn, we lost, let's pack it up. They always say, no, we're going to keep going and we're going to figure this out because they're having so much fun at that point. They don't want the game to end. They want to figure things out. Gotcha. So I don't even know how many games of it my group and I have lost since we've begun playing this game. It came out in 2015. Uh, So that's not even... That's that's much newer yeah, than much newer. The other ones we were talking it's, uh, about. It's two to seven players, so it does support a lot of players, and that includes the person who's playing the ghost. So you'd have like the ghost player, and then up to six investigators. Okay. But yeah, it's a great game. The only bad thing I can say about it is um, the rule book is awful, which is really unfortunate. But once you get past the rule book or look up how to play it on um, YouTube or something, it's a brilliant game. So. Well, yeah, that sounds fun. I might have to check that one out. Yeah. It's you great. Said it was two to seven players. Two to seven players. Right. I kind of have a hard time imagining it working with only two players, to be honest. <laughs> um, but with five, six, or seven players, it really shines. It you... sounds like it'd be a good, uh, good for a small party, or exactly. Yeah. And that's usually when we break it out. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's good because party games, um, a lot of party games, and we'll we'll be talking about a couple party games. But it seems like the classic party games, I've always tended to absolutely hate. Yeah. I, nope, me too. I uh, I can't stand any game that forces you to like act in the middle of it for the most part, like charades. or like draw a picture. I hate <laughs> Pictionary. <laughs> I hate charades. <laughs> I and the games that try to blend those other games. Well, 
cranium, like that kind of thing. Yeah. I just remember playing and just absolutely not enjoying uh, at all. Yeah. And I hate, <laughs> I hate, I hate trivia games too. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> Trivial Pursuit, supposedly a party game. I don't know who could party while playing that game. Yeah, trivia is good for for a couple things. Uh, trivia is good if you're at a pub quiz. Sure. And, yeah. And it's like a big communal trivia event. Right. Where you have a team. That's like the only time trivia is fun. Yeah. Um, Trivial Pursuit, you're usually playing on a board that someone purchased in 1987. Right. And you're trying to figure out what the cultural relevance of any of these questions are. Yeah. <laughs> and I always get stuck with all the, like, the, the sports cards, which... Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's no fun. <laughs> Trivial Pursuit, not a fun game. We do not recommend that game. So other than uh, Mysterium, is there any uh, party games in particular that uh, you like? My group doesn't play a lot of party games, with one exception. Uh, And that game is a little game by the name of Monikers. It is a card game, essentially. Every uh, card in the box has a name printed on it. Uh, It can be like a character name, a person name, the name of a place. Sometimes it's not a name, but it's just like how something is uh, commonly referred to uh, rather than its proper name. And then a short little paragraph kind of explaining uh, what this thing is. And at the start of the game, everyone who's playing, they get like uh, a hand of eight cards. They pick five of them that they think they want to keep or that are funny, and they throw the other three away. And then everyone takes their five cards, puts it all in a big deck, gets shuffled up, and uh, there's two teams. And the deck just kind of travels back and forth between the two teams. And it's played in three different rounds. So the first round, there'll be one person picking the top card off the top of the deck. <laughs> um, and they'll be, they, they can either read the text directly from the card itself or kind of summarize it in their own words. They just can't use the title of the card itself, the moniker. And the rest of the team kind of has to guess what the card is. So that goes back and forth until the entire deck has been completely gone through. At which point, then everyone has seen every card in the game. So the deck gets shuffled back up again, and round two is the exact same, but they're just using one word to describe the card. Which would be impossible, again, if it weren't for the fact that everyone knows all the cards that are in the deck by now. So that happens, that goes all the way through, and then round three is charades with sound effects. Um, But it's much better than charades, (laughs) because charades, my experience with charades is that you feel like a dummy, and you're trying to act out a card that no one else in the audience, no one else playing, has seen. Uh, so you're basically just being laughed at. Yeah. Whereas this game, it works because everyone knows all the cards that are in the deck. So everyone has that context where they can... Right. They're, not, they're not throwing out random guesses that can exactly. be the mark. They, they know that mm-hmm. so then the laughter, in the deck. Yeah. The laughter isn't directed at you. It's just directed at the whole general absurdity of the situation. And it's a great game. It's just completely, yeah, absurd, basically. It for lack seems of like it kind of combines some elements of those other. Um, it does those types of games that I dislike, it, but does it in a way that it does it <laughs> alleviates in a smart, what I don't. Way. Yeah, alleviates yeah. what I dislike about those games. And there are, <laughs> uh, like, if people are really having fun, you can go on and do optional rounds, um, where you know people might read the text on the card, but they have to replace like all the adjectives with some decided upon word. Um, so we did a round of that once where uh, Cumberbatch had to replace all the adjectives, which was, <laughs> we couldn't even finish the round because we were all just rolling on the floor laughing several minutes into it. So uh, no, it's a great game. 
And it's, again, got all sorts of expansions, but all the expansions do is just give you another big, huge deck of cards. Uh, so if you feel like you've kind of run the game through its course because you've seen every card in it multiple times, if you play with the same group, that can eventually become kind of a problem. Um, yeah, that that uh, happened with Cards Against Humanity quite a while ago for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. Or any other game yeah. that's similar to that, like uh, Apples to Apples or... <laughs> but, no, Monikers, one of the uh, few party games that um, I've ever had any success with and that I've personally enjoyed quite a bit. So. All right. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, um, I know that uh, one party game that I've seen come up a lot lately, and it's not necessarily a single game. It's actually a multiple collections of multiple games. They're uh, the Jackbox Party Pack, and they have, like, Volume 1, 2, 3. I think that's up to five of them now. Mm. Um, but they are video games, but you play them communally. Basically, the video game acts as the game board or the game leader, and everybody kind of logs in on their phone to answer questions or to, you know, put in their own answers for things. Or to, like, draw things. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. So some of the ones that I really like, and I, I really like the whole concept of this because it's kind of blending a board game with um, a video game mm-hmm. in a way that's pretty accessible. Um, most everybody has a smartphone on them at the at the parties these days, so right. it's everybody can just kind of pop in and you can play a lot of them with like up to eight people. Um, so it's real easy to get a big game going, and they have enough variety that if one game starts to get a little stale you can pick one of the other uh mini games that they have in in the party pack yeah so uh for instance um one of them is uh called fibbage is the name of one of the games and basically the point um is to the the game will come up with like a question and you have to come up with an answer that is a lie to that question, but it's the most believable lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that <laughs> after everybody puts in their, their lie, everybody vote like, you get the option and you have to try to pick what the right answer is to this question. Right. And the whole point is to really throw people off with, with the lies. And to, you get points if people pick your lie. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get points if you pick the right answer as well. And then it adds up your points as the game goes on. And uh, most of them, I think they go for like three rounds. So it has kind of like a Jeopardy almost uh, yeah. <laughs> a format where you, you go through the first round and then the second round, things are worth more points. And then you have a bonus round where you can bet points and you can basically win the whole game in the last round, even if you're, <laughs> if you're behind the whole time. <laughs> so that's, right. that's one of the games. Very quick, very fun. You can play multiple rounds really easily with... Um, and people can pop in and out really easily. And the cool thing, I've never actually played it, but I've seen it played. But the cool thing about it is it takes like that kind of communal board game experience, but no one needs to explain the rules. It's just kind of like all automated for you. It's all on your phones. Um, yeah, the the they you can it'll play a tutorial at the beginning of the game yeah. and in a really simple, easy way. And if you've been playing the game for a while, you can skip the tutorial and just dive right in. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of, uh, like, you, you have the announcer. Um, I mean, it's all pre-scripted. I'm sure if you play a ton of times, you're just going to hear the same thing sure. over and over. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, the announcer has a lot of good funny jokes. So another one of the games is um, Quiplash. So similar to um, 
the fibbage um, with quiplash, everybody kind of types in their answer, but you type in kind of the funniest answer mm-hmm. or you try to, um, and then people vote on your answers. Like, so they'll give you two options. Um, it'll have a question. They'll give you two answers and whichever one is funnier gets the most votes. Right. Um, so at the beginning of the round, they'll ask you a series of questions. You'll answer them. And then basically the audience will get a judge which answer was funnier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> pretty simple. Um, once again, very fast, very easy for people to pick up. It doesn't put a lot of pressure on an individual, um, right. but you can get some really funny, yeah, well, funny what's, content out What's of it. great about that game, or that whole series of games, and what's great about Monikers, and I think what makes a good party game is it takes the pressure off the players, but it also rewards you for being creative and funny. Monikers does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jackbox does that. Uh, I feel like a bad party game doesn't do that. I know that Cards Against Humanity was really popular for quite a long time and still is. It's not a game that I enjoy very much because I don't think it rewards creativity in that same way. Yeah, um, I think I think a game like that it can um but it can be it, funny. It, it can be funny, yeah. but it tends to be whoever picked the most extreme answer. Exactly. Uh, where to the point where after I played Cards Against Humanity so often, I started like picking some things ironically, like going for anti-jokes rather than going for obvious jokes. Right. And that would be my style more than anything. <laughs> yep. Just, yeah. That, that, that's a game that was fun, and I think it's maybe run its course at this point. <laughs> so yeah, there, uh, the Jackbox Party Packs, um, you do need a... Um, a video game console or computer to play them, um, something hooked up to your TV, mm-hmm. and an internet connection so that everybody can log in on their phone to the game and submit their answers and things like that. But if you have that, um, I think it's available on all the major systems right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> if the people are going to be spending the holidays with, if the kind of people that like things to be... Um, a little more complicated or a little more thoughtful or a little heavier or a little more competitive. There are certainly tabletop games that kind of cover all of those bases as well. And we're not going to spend a lot of time uh, talking about these ones because they're not as approachable, but I think they're still worth mentioning in case anyone is listening to this podcast that is kind of (laughs) looking for something like that. And these are going to be, what, the more in-depth or RPG-style games? So yeah. Kind of um, like how we, we briefly talked about Pandemic Legacy, right. where it's something that you could play in multiple sittings. You could necessarily play, play in multiple it sittings once. or um, a game that just might be so heavy that even if it only lasts two hours, everyone's going to be mentally exhausted at the end of it. <laughs> um, all right, all right. So an example of that um, that's been really popular recently, uh, both, like, within my little uh, group of friends and comrades, but also like in the larger world in general, is um, Brass Birmingham. Uh, It's a game that just came out this year, but it's actually a retooling of a much older game called Brass. Uh, Brass came out in the, I wanna say the early 2000s. It is the most boring looking board game ever produced. It looks (laughs) like wallpaper. It's not terribly exciting, although certainly it's a game that can be kind of like really analyzed and picked apart and kind of like nerded over because there's so much there's so many different paths to victory and so many things to be keeping in consideration but brass birmingham what it does is it kind of i wouldn't say simplifies that game but it just um allows more room for player choice 
and it also comes packaged in like really gorgeous art design which is something that you don't always get in board games unfortunately um, but it is it's a i would classify it as being kind of like a mid to heavyweight uh, economic game so okay. you are like businessmen in the industrial age in the uk in the in the north of the uk specifically you know the um, black country as they called it um, and you are working to build up the uh, manufacturing uh, coal and iron industries I'm not going to go into any kind of rules explanation because it is too complicated of a game for that. But it is a game that um, takes about two hours. Once you get past the learning curve, it's actually really easy to play. And it is the type of game for people that are really competitive and really love a good brain-burning experience that they will want to keep coming back to over and over and over again. Um, nice. So if, if, you, if you know people uh, who you think that might appeal... Who who might be, who might be drawn to that kind of experience? That that is one that. So I like recommend. a more complicated version of some of those new classics we talked about earlier. Yeah, it is very much a uh, European style board game. There's no direct conflict. Uh, all the conflict um, in the game is uh, indirect, either kind of blocking people off from certain parts of the map because it is a game where you're building um, either uh, rail lines or canal lines to connect cities, and then you're producing resources in those cities but you could kind of block someone from getting into some city by getting there first. And you can also, of course, kind of like use resources before other people get a chance to use resources and kind of frustrate them in that way. Or you can make resources available, take other people's resources, force them to use your resources, which in turn will get you points. So uh, it's, it's definitely a very thinky game, and it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but for as lavish of a game as it is and as for... Um, as detailed and heavy as a game as it is, uh, it's pretty fairly priced. Sometimes board games can be awfully expensive, uh, unfortunately. This one, excluding the fact that uh, recent demand has driven the price up quite a bit, which is a shame. Um, yeah, a lot of these are, are smaller publishers that make them, so there's limited quantities, yeah. and so if it gets popular, they can be hard to find. Well, and so many of them are really nicely produced, too. Like, you can kind of tell why they're so expensive when you open them up. Like, you've got, like, linen finishing, like, on the <laughs> boards and stuff. Um, the version of brass that I have has really nice, proper poker chips that comes with it, uh, although that doesn't come in the base edition, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's good stuff. And I think maybe the, the, the last thing that we'll just mention very briefly is, and I feel like we've mentioned it several times on recent podcasts, but because it's kind of having a, a second wind in popular culture at the moment, and that's Dungeons & Dragons. If you don't have any interest in Dungeons & Dragons, don't try to play Dungeons & Dragons. But if you do have an interest <laughs> in D&D, and you think some of your family or some of your friends might have an interest in D&D, you can pick up the starter box for D&D 5th Edition for under 20 bucks on Amazon. I think on Amazon, last time I checked, it was even going for like $11. Oh, wow. And in that yeah. box is everything you need to play D&D. It's got a little simplified rule book. It's got some dice. It's got some character sheets. I don't know if it comes with a pencil or not, but <laughs> I, I'm sure you can provide a pencil yourself if you're really keen on it. Nice. Um, and that's uh, a great way to get into um, a fascinating game that's been around since the mid-70s and is becoming even more popular than it ever has been. Yeah, I think culturally it seems to have really reached a, a peak, you know? Yeah, it has. Uh, it's kind of everywhere again. And the thing I'll say about D&D is D&D is kind of like two role-playing games, what like Kleenex are to tissues. 
Um, there are so many more role-playing games out there that just kind of get lumped into the D&D category. But if, like, slaying dragons and diving into dungeons doesn't interest you, there's role-playing games for that, like, simulate, like, being in, like, a Coen Brothers movie uh, that simulates <laughs> kind of, like, a Mad Max feel um, that sometimes get, like, really specific. There's one particular game called Night Witches that is about the Russian World War II bomber squad that was made up entirely of women uh, that were skirmishing across the front into Eastern Europe and you can play a game like that and be one of those uh, women in the game so there's all sorts of options out there but D&D is the cheap one so <laughs> a lot of them uh, use very similar rule books don't they for D&D and all of its derivatives uh, to some extent or another they're kind of interchangeable you might have to hack them a little bit <laughs> um, they just all have like a different you know different story or different setting or different uh, yeah for the ones that are all published uh, by wizard of the coast and then the ones that are published under their license that they made available a couple editions ago Um, but there are other games that use completely different uh, mechanics and different rule sets as well Uh, one that was big a little while ago is called tales from the loop and it was a game for telling stories like um et or stranger things or it or goonies kind of that like 80s uh, preteen children being kind of like caught up in an adventure bigger than themselves sort of deal. And that one uses a very different rule set than like D&D does. <laughs> like it's not possible for your characters to die in that because it's kind of supposed to be spooky but still ultimately kind of family friendly. Um, gotcha. Yeah, you've got, you've got choices. Um, but those are, you know, only if you think that you might have family or friends that are willing to embark on a big adventure with you over the holidays. Otherwise... Yeah, stick with the classics. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our uh, our board game roundup episode. Yeah. Um, so enjoy your uh, your family time this holiday season. And yeah. Play something new. Yeah, play something new. Avoid Monopoly, please. Let's <laughs> just. Take Monopoly and all the different or, versions of Monopoly. If, and... <laughs> if your family's going to force you to play Monopoly, force them to play another game in exchange for playing Monopoly. It might just be worth it. Yeah. So. All right. Thanks. Yep. Yeah, thanks for listening.